everybody, and welcome to another True Stories of Tinseltown. And yes, guess what? We are still on the history of blonde bombshells. And I am here with the lovely April VVA. Hello, April. Hi, Grace. How are you? I'm just swell, fine and dandy and stuff. Um, And today, of course, April is a old Hollywood historian, and she is an expert on Hollywood classic blondes. And she's written a couple books and good ones. Um, so who are we tackling today, Miss VVA? Ah, so we are doing the beautiful Carol Landis. And of course, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff surrounding Carol and a lot of it has to do with her personal life. So we're going to try to go through that. And of course, unfortunately, I think um, had she not died like that, she wouldn't be remembered too much. I hate to say that, but I think that's true. I don't know. I could be wrong. I know, I know she has a lot of fans, and um, but, you know, this sort of added to her mystique in some ways and, and pondering. Also, you guys, I did one with author Eric Gans. Uh, I did an hour and 20-minute podcast with him, and I read the biography, and we covered, you know, pretty much everything. So we are not going to do that today. We're just going to tell them what we're going to deal with. So um, I think today we're just going to focus on, you know, like the three big things that are kind of, you know, Carol Landis scandals, I guess you could say, and really focusing on her last day and what happened. Sounds great. So you want to get us started? Yeah. So Carol was actually born Frances Lillian Mary Rich on January 1st, 1919 in Fairchild, Wisconsin. Um, her parents were named Clara Stentic, which she was Polish, and Alfred Ritzby. Um, Ritzby actually left shortly after Carol was born. Um, and the reason behind this is most likely that Ritz actually was not Carol's father. Most likely it was a man named Charles Finner, who Clara married, you know, pretty soon after, you know, Ritz had left. Um, unfortunately, her marriage with Finner didn't last that long, and he was out of the picture by 1921. Um, and the family ended up moving to San Bernardino, California in 1923, when Carol would have been four years old. Um, Carol, you know, had a pretty basic childhood, I guess you could say. Or she was very close to her mom. Her mom worked hard. She had no contact with really either one of her fathers, although Alfred would end up moving to San Bernardino at some point, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, in 1934, Carol dropped out of high school, likely because she had married Irving Wheeler. Fifteen um, years old she was. She was 15, and he was 19. They were married the first time in January of 34 to February of 34, when her mother, Clara, made her get annulled. And Carol went behind her mom's back, and, you know, like I said, Alfred was living in San Bernardino, and she asked him to let her marry Irving, and she did on August 25th of 1934. Um, they were only together for a couple weeks. Some people put it as short as three weeks, and Carol left. Well, she was uh, such a baby, you know, and she was just a child. And I think they were living in a boarding house, and I don't think that she saw that as her key to her future, that's for sure. No, no, I, I don't think so either. Um, so, you know, she goes back with her mom for a little bit, and then in 35, she moves to San Francisco, where she becomes a hula dancer at the Royal Hawaiian. Now, it's also around this time that she adopts the name Carol because of her love for Carol Lombard. Um, so the Royal Hawaiian, I think we have to kind of go into that little place. The Royal Hawaiian was not like a grade A entertainment establishment. Um, they had been raided several times for selling alcohol without a license. They had been shut down. It also supposedly kind of doubled as like an escort service house, I guess you could say. Um, and during this time, Carol has absolutely no contact with her mother, Clara. So we really 
don't know exactly what she was doing for those two years that she was in San Francisco. Um, except we do know that she was a soloist for the Carl Ravazza band and that, you know, she made her way kind of around as a lounge singer. And this is kind of like Carol rumor number one is that Carol was a hooker up in San Francisco. Um, this is kind of hard, uh, as, you know, as you know, Grace, Eric covered it pretty well in his book. He did, um, and we discussed it, yeah. Yeah, m- most likely Carol probably did spend some time going out for, you know, to put, you know, food in her stomach and stuff. That that really wasn't uncommon, though. Um, I think it's necessary to point out that there is a very big distinction between somebody who is, you know, straight up prostituting themselves and somebody who is escorting. Um, escorting is, you know, more so kind of like a courtesan, a modern day, you know, courtesanship, I guess you could say. Like a not Camille. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And there's a lot of men who would just pay to take these women out, whether, you know, they were using these women as a beard or if they were older and they just, you know, wanted their cronies to be like, oh, look at that hot thing he's with. Yeah. Hey, guy, how'd you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's not uncommon. So I am. It's probably pretty likely that Carol engages stuff with that. There are more nefarious rumors. Um, Columnist Jimmy Fiddler would claim that he had slept with her while he was up there, and she was very promiscuous. She dealt with some blackmailing after she got, you know, into Hollywood. But the chances of her being like a streetwalker are probably pretty slim. Oh, and she, no, I don't believe that at all. Yeah. She she was probably just, you know, one of many girls at the Royal Hawaiian who agreed to go out with men in exchange for like a little bit of a bonus. Yeah. Um, and if she did have sex with them, who knows? But um, Right. It's one of those things like why, you know, we're never going to know. But, no, we um, weren't there. I wasn't peeping through any windows. So I'm not gonna, exactly. I wasn't born, so I couldn't have peeped through any windows. But no. And also, Eric said, um, you know, Carol was comfortable with her sexuality and that she was not really uptight about that kind of thing. Yeah, most definitely. And I think you can see that, like, you know, through, you know, stuff in her life. She was, you know, she was a very free spirit, you know, and I don't think... That's really, you know, I know her family has really spoken out against that. They claim there was no way she would do that. You know, again, there, there's no way of knowing because they weren't in contact with her for two years. Right. Not. It's you not know, like something you're going to tell your mother. Hey, mom, I go out with this old coot and he gives me like a hundred bucks. You know, you're yeah. going to tell, tell your family. I'm sorry. Excuse me, old coot. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know. Like, and, you know, honestly, it's probably pretty unlikely that she was, you know, thinking, boy, I'm going to sleep with a bunch of 90-year-olds. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's more so, you know, like, hey, I'll go out with this guy. I'll get food. He's going to drop me off. And there's, like, no, you know, sexual interaction that even goes on in transactions like that, which, um, like, Joseph Skink famously did that with Marilyn. You know, people wanted to make it as they were sleeping together. Both claim that they weren't. There's really nothing to suggest that they were, you know, and it's just it's just one of those things. But regardless of what happened, we do know that there are two mysterious years where Carol had really no contact with her family. Um, but, you know, Carol was saving her money during this time, and she finally got enough money. And then in 37, she moved down to Hollywood. Um, and... She, you know, gets down there and she signs a contract pretty quickly with Busby Berkeley of Warner Brothers. And, you know, Warner Brothers puts her in like some bit parts, but they really don't know what to do with her. And so in March of 39, she goes over to Republic Studios. Now, Republic Studios is, you know, one of the Poverty Row Studios. They're they're not the highest caliber, but... They were famous for their westerns. You know, John Wayne got his start with them. And they made popular movies. It's just they were lower-budget movies. And then in late 39, she is spotted by Hal Roach, who puts her in 1 million B.C., and Carol becomes pretty famous. 
you know, people really like seeing her. She's bubbly. She's sweet. She's still sensual. She receives the name of the pink girl during this time because of her chest. Pink. People, I know, pink. <laughs> Just think of the sexual connotations behind that one. Of the pink, yeah. yeah. But, you know, she, she does, she does pretty well for herself. Um, so, you know, when NBC comes out, she's really skyrocketing. Daryl Zanuck sees it. And on Christmas Day of 1940, she finds out that she has been offered a contract through Fox. Now, this, of course, would have been, like, big news, you know, for her. She, you know, and who wouldn't want to be with Fox at this point? You know, they had Betty Grable, and that's kind of Daryl Zanuck's M.O. You know, he makes the blonde really famous, and he brings in kind of like an understudy slash competition pretty quickly once, you know, whichever blonde he's promoting is at the top. And this is supposed to keep the blonde who's at the top in line while also building up the other blonde for less money. Um, she is paid $550 a week, which is an exceedingly good contract, especially yes. for someone who really only had one hit. And this is, you know, 1940. So she, she's making pretty good money. Um, and then pretty quickly after she signed, she is offered the lead female role in 1941's Blood and Sand, which has Rita Hayworth, of course. Tyrone Power. Uh, yes. And there's... Uh, there's kind of a thing about Carol that she didn't want to do it because she was, you know, super vain and all this. Um, supposedly, according to the producer of the film, she actually did not want to dye her hair black. Because oh, she yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because she had just signed with Fox and... You know, they all knew her as a blonde. She had built her fame on a blonde mm -hmm. as a blonde, and she thought if she dyed her hair black that no one would recognize her, which, you know, she's young. She's like 22 years old. It's not shocking that she would think that. Um, I um, want to ask you something, April. All during mm -hmm. this time, she's still married to Irving Wheeler. She never divorced him. Um, so Irving, she had actually divorced in 39, uh -huh. right right before, um, about a year before she signed with her contract with um, with Fox. And then um, in July of 1940, she had actually married a yacht broker named Willis Hunt Jr., but they would only last a few weeks married, and they were divorced by November of 1940. Yeah, they were only, you know, they only had a three-week courtship um, yeah and what was his deal he just was never around or they they obviously didn't know each other but this is like a thing with carol i mean she just doesn't last with these dudes how long could she have lived with him she didn't live with these guys um supposedly that they were only um supposedly okay so berkeley busby berkeley who had signed her with wb had proposed to her but then he broke it off she goes with hunt only you know a couple you know weeks late well really a couple months later but you know after only knowing him for a couple weeks and landis leaves him after two months she's just she's with him for about eight weeks and she realizes hey this isn't going to work out sorry i had a cough um she realizes hey you know this isn't going to work out and we could really get into, you know, Carol's psyche. I, I try not to do that when we're talking about people who have passed away. And obviously, I'm not a medical professional. But there have been, you know, theories that she may have had severe daddy issues. There have also been theories that she just couldn't settle down or that she was depressed because they would find out she couldn't have a child because she had severe endometriosis. There's a lot of theories about it, but I think with Carol, she loved being in love and yes. she loved the beginning aspects of a relationship. But once that was gone and you start to see the worst of your partner, she's yes. like, oh, And no, they I'm see out. the worst of her as well. So exactly. Because you're in that uchi, cuckoo, woo-woo. And believe me, the beginning of a relationship, who doesn't love that? It's so much fun. It's all that stuff. But unfortunately, beginnings don't last long. <laughs> they go into something yeah. else. Yeah. So unless you have some foundation or a friendship or something, it ain't going to last long. So, and it didn't for Carol, that's for sure. 
It, it didn't. And, you know, she, so she, she's divorced at this point. Um, but I'm glad you, you paused us right there because this kind of brings me to my next point. There's a lot of stuff that Carol had a very long sexual relationship with Daryl Zanuck. Yes. Um, th- this probably isn't true. You don't think um, so? No. First off, the roles that Carol's playing, she's always second banana. You know, she didn't moon over Miami with Betty Grable in 1941. She's second banana. She's in I Wake Up Screaming. She's second banana. She's in, you know, My Gal Sal. And again, she's second banana. That's such a funny word, the second banana. (laughs) I love that. Zanuck, we know from the women that he would sleep with, he would try to make them, you know, headlining stars. That's not to say she never slept with him, because, again, we can't, you know, really say that. But as for her, you know, carrying on like a roughly three to four year long relationship with the same man sleeping with him every day and him really just going into his office. That's what um, Eric Ann said, that she would be, you know, she had an appointment to go in and see him every day or something. Yeah. It wasn't like they were seen on the town. He was married. You know, it was just sort of like a, you know, a give give relationship or take whatever he would give her. Right. And it's pretty unlikely that she would have been able to sustain even something like that that's just based on sex every single day for three years. I mean, she couldn't even do it with her husband, you know? Yeah. And like I said, I'm not saying they didn't have a sexual relationship because, as Eric said, you know, they likely had something. But it probably wasn't to the extent that it's been made out that he really skyrocketed her because of that. I mean, well, one she million didn't skyrocket, as you said. Exactly. Mm-hmm. One, one million BC had been very popular, and like I said, Daryl's keeping her in you know pretty low grade parts. I mean, they're in A movies, but she's not you know. She's not made the star of any of these things. And like I said, we know from Xanax other relationships that when he was with somebody, he would really, you know, push for that. So probably did have some type of, you know, sexual thing with Daryl for a certain amount of time, but three years is pretty unlikely with her. Um, She's going out quite a bit during this time, too. And eventually, um, you know, she she goes on a USO tour in 1942 with Martha Ray and Kay Francis. And, of course, that one's extremely popular and it'll eventually become four Jills in a Jeep. Uh, And then, you know, she's really working for the war effort and she meets her third husband, who is Captain Thomas Wallace. She married him in January of 1943. Did he ask her, I'm sorry, April, did he really ask her to get married on their first date? Yes. Um, Yes, she get married. Of course, she's a glamorous movie star. You know, he's... A glamorous pilot. Yeah. And they don't really spend any time with each other. You know, and again, it kind of follows Carol's and all. Yeah, there. And, you know, obviously he's off, you know, fighting at war. Um, and by July of 45, their relationship is over. Did you um, read the Did you read the piece she wrote on the family's website about not, you know, don't marry a stranger wartime? And it was interesting, their, their relationship. And I think in so many ways, Carol probably told him she wanted to be a housewife and a mother. And... He was insecure. She said that. He was jealous because she'd go out to be seen and, you know, certainly no housewife or mother kind of thing. And he he couldn't be. He said, you told me one thing and then they were just, it ended up into being an ugly uh, relationship and ending. And, you know, they didn't know each other and they were rarely Together, I don't know. Maybe they spent a week at a time, a couple times, but that was about it. Yeah, it probably was. If it had been not under, you know, the circumstances, it was of that probably yeah. would have been the most successful type of relationship for her. Someone she only sees for, you know, like a week or two at a yes. time, and then they're gone. You know, but um, yeah, it's just you know they didn't they didn't know each other, and there's a real push 
for women, whether movie star or not, who are single and young and attractive to marry someone who's in the service because that serviceman might not come back. Yes. You know, and ever, like I said, everyone's feeling that pressure. It's not just famous women. It's everyone. And Carol kind of, you know, exemplifies that, you know, like, oh, hey, you know, like, this is part of my war effort. Yeah. I'm going, you know, marry this guy. And a lot of women did that. And there, you know, were a decent amount of divorces after the war, too, you know. Or the men died the as well. So, you know, right. um, she, what I... But what I saw is Kay Francis said, you know, wanted to take some time, Carol, but Carol's like, no, they were, of course, at her wedding. And um, you have to read, I will um, link her family's webpage and you can read an article Carol wrote about that and about don't marry, you know, exactly about that stuff, about um, the war and you never know if you're going to see tomorrow, but don't marry someone you don't know. Just don't do it. Yeah, no, and the, and the website does have some great resources. Obviously, there's a few that I disagree with, but they do have great resources about Carol. I do highly recommend going to the website. It is very you know. good. Yeah, lots of good stuff, lots of articles, lots of letters she wrote. Really good stuff. Yeah, no, it, it, it is very, very good. Um, after, you know, while she's married to Captain Wallace, her career starts to kind of go down. Um, I would say that Carol's career... I, I hate saying effectively over, but, you know, it it really takes a dive after, you know, 44. Four Jills and Jeep comes out. Of course, that movie is relatively successful. You know, people like to see Hollywood stars stories about what it was like, you know, over on the front. Um, and then, you know, 45 to 48, she only makes like seven movies. And the last two, Noose and the Brass Monkey, were actually filmed overseas. Her career just really, you know, starts to go down. Now, people theorize that this is when her, you know, thing ends with Daryl Zanuck. Uh, again, I'm probably going to say that that's probably not accurate. Yeah, because you're right. She got really crappy parts. Also, um, she then decided she did theater, right? She she did something with Jacqueline Suzanne, and there was some rumor that she and Jacqueline Suzanne had. Um, an affair doing a Broadway show together. Yeah, I know. Carol, um, Carol actually takes that. She gets dropped in 46. But the play with Jacqueline Suzanne and all of that, that's in 45. She basically takes almost a year off from movies. Um, the only thing that comes out for 45 is having wonderful crime, which isn't, you know, that popular of a movie. I don't even know how many people have heard about it. I have never heard of it. <laughs> Yeah, and it came out, you know, yeah. in like April of 45. And that, that's why maybe she, she basically takes, and she's still signed with Fox at this point, but they suspend her salary for the year. Well, she and also, she goes, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, what, Grace? She also did Topper Returns. That's the first time I saw her. And I was like, wow, what a gorgeous, gorgeous woman. She had a nose job and a chin thing, I think. Yeah, the, there's lots of rumors about plastic surgery. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I do want to say plastic surgery did exist during this time. Um, plenty of people got stuff done. Whether or not, you know, there there's a nose job involved is up for debate, but we'll just say it would not be surprised. No, you can see. I can, uh, I can see the difference of what she did. It's very subtle because, let's face it, she was not... She didn't, she wasn't Jimmy Durante, you know, she didn't have some huge schnozzola, but it's subtle and it actually, whatever surgery she had, they did a good job. Yeah, no, and that's the thing too. A lot of these surgeries that people had were very minuscule. You're not seeing people get their faces completely reconstructed. It's like just taking out a little bump or, you know, just a little bit of a reshaping. It's nothing, you know, serious, but um, anyway, so Carol takes a year off. 46, she comes back. She's, you know, being loaned out and still working for Fox. And then Fox drops her, which I don't think really comes as a surprise for Carol. Um, and then, you know, during this time, she's also um, back in... Ugh, let me start over. So during this time, she is married to W. Horace Schmidlop. 
They got married on December 8th, 1945, after she was, you know, back in California with her Broadway, you know, stuff. And, you know, he's a yacht seller. What is he? He was like a producer. Didn't he do some stuff with Broadway or I don't know what he did. Yeah, he's doing a bunch of stuff. Um, There are pictures of him. He's not the most attractive dude. He looks Um, like a Horace Schlimm man. What's his name? Schmidlap. Let's put it yeah. that way. He looks like he, his name. He he really does. Um, and their marriage lasts, you know, about a year and a half. And then they finally separate in December. Or sorry, they finally separate in forty-seven, probably. Yeah. You know, around Aprilish or so. They got and a then, house together, right? But they did not they, spend they did. a lot of time together either. She was here, he was there. They did not spend a lot of time, or she was in England, whatever. I mean, they just didn't, which is Carol's M.O. Yeah, no, they're not spending a whole lot of time together. She's working, like you said, she's in England. You know, she makes news in the Brass Monkey during part of this. And finally, in spring and summer of 47, she meets Rex Harrison, who is a very popular British actor, um, he is married to a woman named Lily Palmer, who reportedly, when she would get drunk, she would think she was a dog. <laughs> I never read that. That's a riot. <laughs> yeah, no. She's, she she uh, humped his leg, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess she That's was hard to on all fours. Um, Lily probably had some mental issues. I would say so. Uh, but... You know, Carol finds, you know, she falls extremely hard for Rex. He's successful. He's nice looking. He has, you know, a wife with some issues at home, and he's also looking for somebody. And they get together, and they're pretty hot and heavy. Um, We don't know exactly when they got together, but it was probably spring or summer of 47. We do know that she had done Out of the Blue. Um, When he was filming something else, there are rumors that they met during that, but probably was a little bit after that. Um, You know, and Carol was really taken with Rex. And in May of 1948, filed for divorce from Mr. Schmidlap. Mm-hmm. Schmidlap, Schmidlap, whatever we want Schmidlap. to call it. Schmidlap. Uh, yeah, no, he, it's just, it's a very interesting name. So she files for divorce. She's going to get with, you know, Rex. And Rex reportedly will not divorce his wife. So I guess this is where we get to kind of the juicy stuff. Yeah. Um. You know, Carol is reportedly devastated by this and commits suicide. So there's there's multiple versions. I don't know how you want to start this one, Grace. We can go Maybe through Maybe we should go through her last days. Now, she was madly in love with him and he, you know, smitten with her. But it was also known that he was going to be going to New York to do Anne of a Thousand Days, playing Henry VIII, How Perfect for Rex. And um, I think maybe we should just kind of go there and discuss that and then maybe what the family feels. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll just go with the official, like, you know, the official kind of version and we'll go the family goes and then we can kind of see between the two of them where we're at. Mm -hmm. So on July 4th, 1948, Carol hosted a very large party because it was the 4th of July. And the party began around noon and ended at four. You know, Carol had brought, uh, Carol invited all of her friends. You know, she apparently spent a lot on this party. It's a pool party at her house. People are having fun. Um, and then after the party, she, you know, plans to have dinner with Rex Harrison. So everybody leaves. And Carol was actually a very good cook, by the way. And Carol makes Rex a dinner of chicken salad and a fresh lemon chiffon pie. I know. I was like, yummy when I read that. <laughs> I know. Um, so the, we're never going to know what's in this conversation. But supposedly during the conversation, Rex kind of tries to end it with Carol. Um or at least tells her, you know, like, I'm not going to leave my wife for you. And, you know, like you said, he he's going to New York anyway. 
Carol reportedly doesn't take it well. Um, Rex would claim that he left at 9, but people place him leaving between midnight and, like, 2 in the morning. Esther Williams claims that she was at his house um, with his wife until 2 in the morning and Rex still wasn't there. He would claim 9. Most likely he left sometime around midnight. But, again... We're never going to know for sure. Wasn't he also supposed to have gone to his good friend's house? Because Carol dropped off a lot of stuff at the guy's driveway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Carol packed up everything she had of her relationship with Rex, and she put it in the driveway of Roland Culver's home. That's obviously the friend. Um, She also, though, had put a note, supposedly with the belongings, saying that she was going to kill herself. Uh, Culver, you know, found the package the next day and he burnt all of it. That would have had their letters, her, yeah. you know, I guess you could say third suicide note, which we'll get into. Right. Um, but you know, he, he got rid of everything. He just, he burnt it. Um, so on July 5th, probably about 3 a.m., Carol overdoses. She takes a bunch of secondol. Um, I just want to her- put this as a, as a thing. She did try to call a really good friend of hers in New York who was not home and figured it was late. I'm not, you know, she, I'm not going to get back to her. So I think that adds into the equation as well. Yeah, no, she, um, yeah, and you're, you're right. You know, she, she'd gone to Culver's house. He, he obviously, you know, didn't see anything. She supposedly called, you know, a friend. She writes out suicide notes, you know, it, she has a very busy, you know, schedule, I guess you could say. That sounds horrible, but you know what I mean. And so it's pretty unlikely that Rex left her house at 2 in the morning. <laughs> Unless you want to, you know, believe in nefarious things. But anyway, it, it's pretty unlikely. That's why I stick more so to he probably left around midnight. I agree. Because. You know, I'm by the time Carol dropped everything off and wrote her notes, like she said, tried to call her friend. I mean, it's pretty unlikely that she did all of that in an hour. Um, it, it was so she's she takes her overdose about three in the morning of you know, a lot of second all, but she's 40 second alls. Yikes, she she takes. Yeah, she she's she's done. Um, but her body's not discovered until three PM by her maid, Fanny Mae Bolden, who quickly um her, her, well, let me back up. It's not actually discovered by Fanny Mae. I'll start that over. Her body is discovered around three PM by Rex Harrison, who had come to probably try to kind of smooth things over with Carol. And he starts, you know, screaming for her maid, who's named Fanny Mae Bolden. Um, And, you know, they're kind of freaking out. You know, she's found in a white lace shirt, a blue and white plaid skirt, wearing gold sandals. She's curled up in a fetal position. She had put her head on a brown leather jewelry box. And she had apparently been holding on to the Lord's Prayer, which had been inscribed onto a ribbon. Yeah. Well, that's infamous. I was in Hollywood, Babylon. I think that they put that there. But they, but the press at that time also put that picture in the paper. Oh, the, the picture went everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's readily available online. You know, it's not gory, but it's gross. You know, like, I, I don't know. I want to look at her dead body, but if anyone wants to see it, you can easily find it online. Right. Um, Harrison supposedly, you know, starts holding up Carol's body and saying, oh, honey, why did you do it? Um, but then the story gets a little weird at this point. Harrison and the maid both agree that, you know, she's dead. Um, supposedly Harrison thought he could feel a pulse. That is very unlikely for the time that he yes, discovered definitely. Her. In fact, I would say it's impossible. Um, but, you know, your, your mind can play tricks on you. Um, so he went through... Uh, Carol's address book to find her doctor's number, but he couldn't find it. And of course, this is all in a panic. You know, people always think, oh, this is so suspicious, but it's like this guy's panicking hardcore. 
you know, can't find the doctor's number. He then proceeds, because he lives, you know, right next to Carol, basically. He proceeds to run to his house where he calls his doctor. He finds out that his doctor is away, but asks for the doctor who is covering his doctor to come to Carol's house. Um, and then he, Harrison proceeds to call his neighbors to find a doctor who's closer than the temporary doctor. So one of the doctors that he's in contact with, thanks to his neighbor, says, hey, you should call the hospital. So Rex calls St. John's Hospital, who says, hey, you should call the police. Yeah. We go through a very long, you know, chain of places to call. But finally, someone's like, hey, you should probably call the police. Now, you know, like I said, Harrison's panicking as to why the maid did not call the police while all of this is going on. I have no idea. Wasn't he also kind of going through some of her stuff, you know, kind of digging through because he, you know, he's not in the affair. Right. That supposedly happens after he calls the police Mm -hmm. because he runs back and he goes through and he destroys. Carol had most likely written two suicide notes, um, but he either destroyed or gave it to a police officer that he had bribed. Either way, the note's long gone. But he, he does that after he calls the police. But, you know, like I said, really the maid should have called the police at this point, but she, I guess, is just panicking. Yeah, and I think she's thinking he's going to take care of it. Yeah. Um, so the police finally arrive at 4 p.m. Like I said, Rex lives very close to Carol, so it wasn't, you know, a huge thing for him to, you know, hop over his fence, call these people and, you know, get back there. And like you said, he goes through things. Um, Carol's mother, Clara, and her sister, Dorothy Ross, arrive around 7, um, and Carol's mother is just beside herself. She asks why nobody called her. It's, you know, it's a big thing. Um, the press does learn about Carol's death during this day, but because it happened, you know, so late at night, it was even too late to print in night editions of local newspapers. Yeah. So it got released in the morning edition of the paper nationwide on the 6th of July. Um, and the police come out and they just say, hey, you know, Carol definitely committed suicide note. Again, Carol's note is easily found online, you know. The one she wrote to her mom, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, the note she wrote to her mom is easily found available online, you know. Again, if people want to look at it, it's Carol's handwriting. It's definitely Carol's handwriting, you know, anyone can see that. Um, Harrison comes out and says that he had just talked about business with Carol that night and says that they were not having an affair, even though they <laughs> obviously were. Yeah, it was but, like you know, gossip columns, the whole nine yards. His wife knew. Everybody knew. Yeah, everyone knew. It was a very open secret. It yeah. really wasn't a secret. It was just an open fact. Um, but, you know, they're saying there, he claims, I was just discussing business with Carol and, you know, we were going to have lunch the next day to finish discussing it before I go off, you know, to go perform on stage, you know, and all this stuff. Really, no one's buying it, but, you know, that, that's what he officially says. Yes. Um, Carol's attorney, who we have talked about before, you know, Jerry Geisler, he comes out and he says, hey, you know, I don't know why she committed suicide, but it's not because of her you know, divorce that's coming up. Uh, Carol's press agent, Ed Ediger, says, hey, you know, I think she committed suicide because she was having a lot of financial issues and her career wasn't making her happy. Um, Carol's friend, Mary Klein, comes out and says that it must have been accidental. Columnist Dorothy Manners says that she's very depressed, but she's not shocked. Because she knew for a fact that Carol died from poor finances and, you know, was also brokenhearted over Rex. And then Carol's father, Alfred Ritz, comes in and says, hey, it's not suicide. I think there was something like nefarious that came about with Carol. Now, again, I want to point out Alfred Ritz and Carol had very little contact with each other. You know, he had so little contact with his daughter that he signed off for her to marry, you know, 
some 20-year-old dude when she was 15. Yeah, no. you know, just a swell kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Carol was always very close with her mother, Clara. So Rick's coming out and saying it. I mean, I mean everyone was like, who, who is this dude? You know, there wasn't really anything going on between Carol and her father, you know, friendship-wise or anything like that, or normal mother or father-daughter relationship. But Alfred's rich, you know, just he says, oh, hey, there was something up. But, again, take his testimony with a grain of salt because he had no contact with Carol. Yeah. Just say no contact, but very sporadic contact. Um, so July 7th, the, you know, there's a con, there's a press conference. Carol's mother, you know, finally releases her thoughts. She thinks that Carol committed suicide because of financial issues. Um, you know, and again, this is the parent that Carol had contact with. Certain people have really, you know, focused on Ritz. But Carol's mother, Clara, said, hey, it's because of financial issues. And that's, you know... It's her mom. She talks to her mom all the time. And also, yeah. she was 29, and she felt her career was going to go nowhere. Because at 29, going on 30, you're a sex symbol. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, I'm not here now, so where am I going to go? You know, kind of thing. Exactly. You know, um, so Harrison comes out, and he agrees with Clara. He says, you know, Clara's right. Carol was completely despondent over her finances. That's why she killed herself. Then Evelyn Ross, who we talked about earlier, says that Carol killed herself because she was despondent over her inability to hold a husband or have a family. Again, I'm going to take Ross's stuff with a grain of salt. I'm going to agree with Clara's stuff on here. You know, I do think that Harrison probably pushed her. Over the limit, right, because she had made other suicide attempts. She had, and, you know, which we can get into that because I know family talks about that. But um, it's it's pretty, you know, evident that Harrison's, you know, thing of, hey, I'm not leaving my wife for you probably pushed her over the edge. And he was going to New York literally, so she would not be seeing him. Exactly. Um, So... People are still really pushing for this Rex Harrison thing. You know, like, is he, was he sleeping with her? What's going on? July 8th, he finally makes an official statement. And he, you know, just says, hey, you know, like, nothing was really going on. And, you know, I know there's rumors of a second suicide note, but I never saw it. Like you said, most likely Harrison either destroy himself or there are rumors that a police officer had it destroyed. It doesn't really matter. Right. Um, Nobody ever saw it. Yeah, no no one ever saw it. Um, And this is also the day that Carol's autopsy report is released. We find out that she was unable to have children because of her endometriosis um, and that her blood alcohol content was 0.12. So Carol had been drinking pretty heavily. And the other thing, too, is is that this alcohol would have had time to digest, you know, while she was slowly passing away. So it probably would have been several points higher Mm -hmm. when she took her medication. She was very, very drunk. Um, And then, you know, her family comes out. And they don't know who they're going to make the executioner of Carol's will. Is it going to be Jerry Geiser? Is it going to be, you know, Clara? It is finally decided, you know, later that it will be Geiser. But, you know, there's a bunch of drama surrounding Carol's will as well. Um, So Carol's funeral gets announced on July 9th. You know, people say, hey, you know, it's going to be tomorrow at Forest Lawn. And it is held on Forest Lawn. Harrison comes with his wife, Lily Palmer. Now, there's some interesting theories about this. One of the most popular is that Harrison actually paid Lily Palmer to come with him. This is probably pretty unlikely. Um, It's very likely that Lily knew that, you know, Rex and Carol had been having an affair. And... 
you know, she probably just went to say, hey, our marriage is strong because they're not going to divorce until 1952. Also, I think they knew that she should. And I I believe the studio probably said, you know, you should go, (laughs) you know, to make you want a career. You want Rex to still have a career. You should go with him. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that, you know, I, I don't think that he paid her, but I do think, you know, she thought with help from the studio that she needed to go to that too. And she's, you know, bawling and she's saying that she was a really great friend of Carol's. And I, I don't believe that, but you know, what can you do? Yeah. But they come, um, Cesar Romero and Bill Nye, who is Carol's makeup man or two of her Paul bear bearers. Fans come from all over to, you know, witness the funeral. Of course, a lot of them take mementos. Um, And then on July 12th, two days after Carol's funeral, her will is scheduled to be read. But then the family decides they can't do it that day. So it's actually right on the 13th. And we find out that Carol is worth about $50,000. She has 20000 in assets, and her ex-husband, Horsh Midlap, agrees to pay his divorce settlement to her mother, who inherited everything, which gave her mother an additional 30000 So she probably got about like $48,000. Which then was a uh, lot of money. It, it was, but it wasn't as much as people thought. People thought originally that Carol's estate would be worth several hundred thousand, so it was a pretty big shock to a lot of people that she was worth less than 50000 Um, And her mom, you know, sat there. She put everything in a trust, and that's just kind of what she lived off of. Um, but, you know, that's the official version of Carol's death um, with, you know, a few things of, you know, Rex claiming he left at 9 to 930 was probably closer to midnight. But, you know, that's the official. And I think you wanted to go over what some of her cousins now claim, didn't you, Grace? Yeah, I did. Because it's interesting. Like I said, I'm going to link you up. Because the woman says, my beautiful Aunt Carol died in 1948. She was only 29. The official story is that she committed suicide because her married boyfriend, Rex Harrison, would not marry her. I want you to know the family never, in capital letters, believe that it was a suicide. We are 100% convinced that Rex Harrison is to blame for her death. She hired, she hired a private detective, all this stuff. They, all th- they just thought it was a huge cover-up. Yeah, I mean, we have her mother's statement where her mother says that she thinks it's suicide. So to say the family has never thought that, no. They, they're going off of Alfred Ritz's comments, which, again, like I said earlier, she had very sporadic contact with her dad, right. who probably wasn't even her dad. Um, you know, and they have, I have a few talking points, too. You know, most of their things were Carol was happy and friendly, you know, she couldn't have been depressed because she was happy and friendly. And, you know, Harrison couldn't divorce his wife for Carol, you know, which we, we've covered that a little bit. Right. Um, and then, you know, Carol wouldn't have had this party for her, you know, family and friends, the 4th of July party, if she was going to kill herself. And Carol had had past suicide attempts using aspirin, and these were actually just for publicity or, you know, for her family to give her attention. And, you know, they claim a lot of things. Well, they have this uh, claim here. This is one that I just so don't. Maybe Rex put second all in Carol's food or drink. 40 second holes. You, you, you would definitely taste that in your food or your drink. You certainly yeah. would. I, um, you know, there's a lot of people who want to make these, you know, oral ingested overdose deaths, something nefarious. There's nothing to support that for most of them. You know, Carol, like you said, she would taste 40 second all. I mean, she's going to. There's nothing to suggest that this was injected or she took, you know, a liquefied version of it. You know, she she would know what she was doing. The other thing that I want to point out, though, you know, and then I'll kind of get off my soapbox of this, but 
a lot of people are very happy before they're going to commit suicide because they think I'm going to die soon. So all of my problems are yes. going to be taken away. I feel that too. You know, yeah. and you know, saying, Oh, well, she wouldn't have done this or she, you know, was so happy that that can actually be an indicator. If somebody has been extremely depressed, which we know Carol probably was depressed and they are all of a sudden very happy for, you know, like a couple, you know, days or weeks or even, you know, hours. It's usually because they've decided to commit suicide. And they know that and their so, pain will be at rest. But you know exactly. what? I don't think she planned to commit suicide until the Rex bit. I, I don't think she did either. Um, I, I think, well... I don't know, because she had so many secondal, and obviously we don't have her prescriptions, but we don't know if she had been hoarding it. I think that she was very stressed out, and I I think that she knew that she was going to have the dinner with Rex, Yeah, but I think she probably thought she could convince him to stay. And if she couldn't, you know, that would explain her happiness you know, at the party, or at least, you know, convince him to be with her, I guess I should say. And if she was, if he wasn't going to stay, then she thought, well, like, I can end it for myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I believe he ended, he was, he put an end to it that night. And um, this is another reason, and this is one I I could find more um, feasible, that he... uh, went to Carol long before that three o'clock and he, because he said to her, I believe she committed suicide. This is what he said to the maid. And I, I think if anything, he saw that she had taken the pills and he did not contact anyone earlier that, but I don't know that happened, but if anything's plausible to me in that, it would be that. And that they thought that maybe she's still living and he just let her die. It's probably pretty unlikely that she was still alive. We oh, we no. can no. pretty much safely say that she died at 3 a.m. What is possible is that he had come earlier in the day before the maid was there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would have been career suicide for him to find her by himself. Yes. So I do think he came earlier. And that's yeah. my thing. But I don't I don't believe he murdered her in the least. I mean, just a, no. And she definitely wouldn't have been alive. I mean, unless he was there at like two in the morning, which, like I said, is extremely doubtful because he would have had to go with her to drop his you know, stuff off in someone's driveway and included a note from her on top of it. You know, that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but what could have happened and, you know, I like, I think that's an extremely plausible thing is that he may have come over around six or seven in the morning, found her dead is just freaking out. Right. And looked for paperwork, looked for anything. You got the hell out of there, got out of Dodge. Yeah, you know, those, that's a very, you know, possible scenario, too. But regardless, I think it's pretty safe to say that Carol killed herself. Um, we're, we're not going to know if she obviously had planned it. But like I said, you know, especially for people who are listening, if you have someone who's really depressed and all of a sudden they're super happy, that can be a warning sign that this person's committing, going to commit suicide. Um the other thing too is, is that there's the family says that the divorce divorcing Lily would have ruined Rex's career. People got divorced and remarried very quickly in Hollywood all the time. Yeah, that that's pr- probably pretty unlikely. What's more likely is that Rex did not want to leave Lily. No, and he did not want to marry Carol. <laughs> he yeah. just didn't want to marry Carol. Yeah, and, you know, that's just kind of an asinine claim to make. I'm sorry, but there's no other way to say it. I mean, everyone got divorced at least once in Hollywood. Um, I shouldn't say everyone, but 99% of people got divorced at least once. You know, the George Raffs and Spencer Tracys, they didn't get divorced, but they were still, you know, going out, obviously. Right. These wives were, they didn't live with their wives and they had separate lives. That was it. it, Exactly. So, you know, these were people that were, you know, going through spouses like hotcakes, basically. (laughs) So I'm going to say that that one also does not pass our scrutiny. So at the end of the day, it's very depressing, but Carol most likely, you know, 
committed suicide. Um, like I was telling Grace before we started filming, I have done an article also not over to Grace too. It has a bunch of newspaper clippings from the time, so people can look at that if they want. Yeah, it's an interesting case, and to to think that you know people still think it might be murder. It's the family, and um, you know they just their point is that he never had to pay for anything, but. Um, why should he pay if he didn't kill her? You know, they can say he killed her because he dumped her and he, in that, but you know, people get dumped every day and you know, she did have alcohol in her, which does, uh, hinder your, your thinking, you know, you're not thinking clearly. And she took 40 pills. There was one left over. That's a lot of pills to take. That was no Mm -hmm. aspirin. That was like, I'm dying now. And, yeah, no. And who most, knows if she, uh, at the time, she's like, oh, no, I don't want to die. And then, you know, she get, makes her way into the bathroom and she dies in there. It, it's possible. Um, usually this stuff works real. I, I know because I've done a lot on, like, the Maryland, you know, thing. And, of course, right. Maryland dies in a similar way. Um, usually it kicks in relatively quickly, uh, but you die very, very slowly. Each of your organ systems shuts down basically one by one, you know, and obviously that's what happened with Marilyn because your body looks at like, which systems do I not need? So usually like digestion the first to go because your body's like, well, I don't have to digest food right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, you know, she, she probably, I would say that she probably overdosed on everything about one in the morning, um, which would, you know, give her probably about an hour and a half to do everything that, you know, she wanted to do. Like you said, make the phone call, do that, you know, um, and that would have been shortly after Rex most likely left. Yeah. And then, you know, she, she would have basically been comatose for about an hour. Yes. And then slowly passed, you know, on. But Carol had a very interesting life, a very depressing life, a very scandal-filled life. Yeah, she was definitely not a boring woman. And, I mean, her death, what a tragedy, really. It was awful. And to think that her last portrait of her in her bathroom. And she looks like such a wholesome little thing. She's in that little white shirt and checked dress and her little shoes and... You know, poor lady. Yeah. Who knows? All I can say is she was only 29, and that's so sad. Yeah, no, it's my age. I can't imagine. No. Anyway, I think we hit on that, and um, I think we did good. Yeah, I, I think we covered it very, very thoroughly. Yeah. So, like I said, I did a different uh, one a long time ago with Eric Gans, her biographer. And we talked about a lot of other things than what um, April and I are talking about. The death didn't do, you know, that was more of a maybe 10-minute thing or 15-minute or 20. Not long, long, long. So, um, yes, she was a gorgeous blonde bombshell, a tragic one, too, like many are. And she died too young. That's for sure. So thank you, April, for being here again. And thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, April. Thanks, Grace. The clock with his pants falling down or the a dream of romance or the scene where the villain is me that's entertainment the lights on the lady in tights or the bride with the guy on the side or the ball where she gives him her all that's entertainment it might be a fight like you see on the screen a swain getting slain for the love of a queen Some great Shakespearean scene Where a ghost and a prince meet And everyone ends in mincemeat The gag may be waving the flag That began with the Mr. Cohan hip hooray 
The world of entertainment.